This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you're having a good one out there today. Lots to get to on this episode of the show. Andrea Yock will join me here in a little while. She's the president and co-founder of Minnesota Aurora Football Club. That is the women's soccer team that will make its debut Thursday night at TCO Performance Center, the home of the Vikings. That is their practice facility. That game is sold out, by the way. 5,600 fans expected to attend that game. Much of the season already sold out as well. So I'll talk to Andrea about just the success story so far of that team and how it all came together in a little less than one year. Also get to the Twins here in a little bit. They had their winning streak snapped, and Byron Buxton did not have his hitless streak snapped. He's now 0 for his last 26. Spent a decent amount of time talking about his slump on uh, Wednesday's show, but we'll get into that a little bit more today as well. So get that coming up. But first, what did I miss Like I said, we'll have some happier soccer talk here in a little while, but that is not the case from Minnesota United. Lost 2-1 to um, Union Omaha. Omaha Union. Um, I don't even know exactly how. I'm going to look it up because I I don't even know exactly how to frame what they are, but they are a third division team uh, in the USHL, um, a third division team in USL League One. Yes, that is uh, Union Omaha. I had it. Uh, I think I had it right the second time. Whenever it was, um, they lose two one. Loons took a, a one nothing lead early in that match in the U.S. Open Cup, doing what you're supposed to do against a lesser division team, right? A team that comes in with quite a bit of you know whether it's optimism, whether it's you know hope. They're like this is a big stage for a third division team, even if they're not. You know, even if Allianz wasn't. As full as it typically would be, it's a you know it's a it's an MLS team, an MLS stadium, you know. And I can remember when Minnesota was the team in the lower level of U.S. soccer, and they were playing in this U.S. Open Cup tournament, which is you know a tournament that features teams from all levels of U.S. soccer. It's it's a pretty cool tournament. It's a cool idea, um, and you know Minnesota United back then used to be you know had various incarnations of their team before they went to. Major League Soccer, you know, way back in the day, they were the Thunder. For a little while, they were the Stars, um, and then they were united before they before they went to Major League Soccer. Like th- this used to be a big deal for them when they were in this lower division. It obviously was a big deal for Omaha because, like I said, United takes a one nothing lead in the sixth minute. They're playing some of their reserves, playing some of the guys that don't maybe play as much, but still a credible lineup that they put on the field you know I think Adrian Heath manager of the of the loons um, who said it was an embarrassing outcome you know talked about yeah maybe there weren't uh, wasn't the the exact starting 11 they might use in a in a league match but he said you know we've got two designated players on the field we've got three internationals on the field and some guys who have played 150 games in MLS which should have been enough to win the game if we had approached it like we should have I expect more out of the group, full stop. I expect more out of the guys who have not played an awful lot. And one of those guys who, you know, didn't hasn't played a whole lot and has been pretty disappointing this year, that was Adrian Hunu, who scored in the sixth minute. Like I said, Loons took a one nothing lead. That's exactly what you want to do early in a game like that. 
Um, you know, try not to give the other team too much hope, but uh, that that didn't last. Omaha equalized just before halftime, and then got the got the winner shortly after the break. And you know, the Loons tried to come back, come back, come back, didn't happen. And you know, the first you know the first Omaha goal was basically a long goal kick, and it was off to the races. And you know, again, Heath not happy. With uh, you know, with with the way that happens, the first was a comic goal, one straight ball from the goalkeeper, a guy who is five eight, heads it on, and a guy runs through and scores. Heath said, "Schoolboy stuff, really." You can tell how angry he was about this outcome. And you know, the loons have been inconsistent this year, but you were thinking that this might be you know the start of something good. Well, over the weekend, they had a nice road win at Dallas. Kind of got things going a little bit for them. That they've been inconsistent with their with their scoring, with their finishing, with all that stuff, and then everything else, you know, kind of creeps back up in this game where they can't finish their chances towards the end, end up losing, and now they're out of this tournament. I mean, the only good news is it does not count in the MLS standings, but this is a prestigious tournament. This is a tournament they made it to the finals of in 2019, and you know, resuming this Open Cup now in 2022 certainly expected a better result against Omaha and did not get it. So what that means, big picture, I don't know. It probably means that Heath is unhappy with the focus of some of his players. Probably means a lot of these players who have been lobbying for more playing time won't be getting that because they didn't show it in this match. And it probably means that they're going to be embarrassed for a little while and how they respond to that in their next league match against New York in just a couple days will tell us a lot. So Disappointing result for the Loons and an angry Adrian Heath to go with it. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Very happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Andrea Yock, president co-founder of the Minnesota Aurora soccer team debut match um, Thursday night, Andrea. And uh, I imagine the excitement level is brimming, but also the uh, maybe some of the jitters, just hoping everything goes off as planned. I imagine uh, where are things at right now and and welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Well, we, uh, we announced on Tuesday that we are sold out which is very exciting. Um, that has created a flurry of activity with people trying to get tickets today. And because we are a community owned team and all of the nine founders live here in the community, we're all getting the texts from people. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of uh, what we created about being a part of our community is coming back to bite us right now because everybody you know, is looking for tickets, but all a really good problem to have. I was going to say, good good problem to have, and you're playing your home matches at uh, the TCO Performance Center in Egan, um, mm-hmm. the Vikings training facility, and that, I mean, if, if you're selling out there, that's, how, how many seats is that? We're capping it at 5,600 because we want people to have a, a good game day experience. You can fit in a little bit more, but Viking Security told me that the one time they did that, they had to actually walk through and ask people to squish in. And I'm just not willing to do that. I'm, I'm not, we're not going church style. I am not p- telling people to squish in. So <laughs> we, uh, we capped at 5,600 with standing room. Let's back up just a little bit too. We can talk about the origin of this team, exactly what it is, this women's soccer team that we're talking about, the Minnesota Aurora. I mean, as you conceived of this um, and, you know, decided that, you know, there should be a team in 
Minnesota. How did how did this all kind of come together? How did and and has it you know along the way? What have been some of the the rewards and the challenges? I guess. So it really started as a meeting in a park. Um, Matt Pravatsky, who covers women's soccer for his blog. Um, sent a note out to a bunch of us that had been involved in either soccer or women's soccer specifically, or just knew they were passionate about it and said, Hey, we should explore about bringing a team to town. And so he sent a note, asked us all to meet. So we met during the pandemic um, at a park six feet apart with our masks on. And out of that group, five of us emerged as sort of the original founders that were committed to doing it. So I pretty much committed on the spot as we got, my husband came with me to the first meeting and we got in the car and he's like, you're going to do this, aren't you? And I said, hundred percent, absolutely. So um, from that uh, three of us, uh, Matt Westberdine and I started meeting with all the leagues around the United States, either existing leagues or leagues that had announced they were bringing in a new women's league. And so USLW, which is what we're entering, debuted in 2022. They started playing about two weeks ago. And the goal for them was 30 teams. And they have made their debut. We, we actually have 44 teams in the league, uh, broken out into a lot of divisions now. So it has just exceeded everything. We agreed to be one of the founding teams. So we're one of the first eight teams into the league. We announced last June. And the biggest thing that makes us different is that we, the, uh, the founders are all regular Twin Cities citizens. None of us are rich. And we needed to find a league that was okay with doing a community ownership model, which has been done on the men's soccer side, but has never been done independently by a women's team. And that we weren't going to have the money up front to put in some bank account that we had to go raise the money. And the USLW said, sure. Sounds great. You look like you've assembled a great group. Let's give this a shot. And so they believed in what we were trying to do. And um, that's and had a lot of things aligned with our values. And so we chose them. When you have to use that funding route, I imagine it's, you know, it's a little bit of a leap of faith because you're counting on, you know, the soccer community, which is a very good soccer community here in the Twin Cities. But as you approached people and said, hey, can you, will you invest in this? How did that process go? So we actually did it as a very public campaign. We launched at the state fair and we invited in everybody. So from the very beginning, we did not make this a soccer thing. This was about lifting up women, women in sports, women in business, and everything that has come out over the last few years about how women have been um, inequitably treated, but in specifically in sports, right? Those NCAA athletes that showed the difference between what the men's gym look like versus right. the women's gym. And then in the WNBA bubble versus the NBA bubble, the players were showing plastic forks and plates for the women and the men were eating steak with silverware. So I think that the public consciousness around the inequality had, had really sunk in. And so we came along and said, look, you can invest in this team. And if you've been feeling bad about what's been happening to the women, this is a great way for you to even the playing field. So this was much bigger than soccer. And we have seen over and over again, even the questions I'm getting from friends over the last few days, most people, this will be their very first soccer event. They, they haven't watched soccer. They're not soccer fans. We obviously have a very strong base in the soccer community, but 3,080 people is more than just hardcore Twin Cities soccer fans. We have owners from across the world. And they believe in what we're doing. Yeah, that's great. And it's going to be, um, as you've kind of 
counted down to the opener on Thursday. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's been a million things to take care of. What do you imagine it'll be like when, you know, when the ball is actually in play and this is actually happening? Uh, I'm sure I'll be crying. I, that will not be, uh, that will be without a doubt. Part of it is exhaustion. Part of it is relief. Um, I was very fortunate to be a part of the team that opened U S bank stadium with that soccer match. And the moment that the national anthem finished, I was in full on tears. I was just like, there was nothing else we could do. It was all about the soccer at that moment in time. So there'll be a lot of emotion for all of the founders. Um, we all have other jobs. It's been very much a labor of love and we are all working on it pretty much nonstop all the time. And so when we get to that moment tomorrow night, when the stadium is full and we look around and the whistle goes and the soccer starts where it's going to be something. How, how did you go about, you know, assembling, uh, assembling the roster, put, putting all of this, uh, putting all the, the actual team together. I mean, I mean, this is a, this is a league where the, the players are not paid at, you know, but they're aspiring to be, you know, perhaps aspiring to be professional soccer players at some point. And this is a, a stepping stone along the way, but how, how do you then, you know, recruit players to come, Hey, come play in Minnesota, come play for us. Okay. Well, so the first thing was assembling a coaching staff and sure. we had some amazing candidates apply for the job. And we ended up being able to hire the top three people who had applied and ask them to work together. They didn't, as two of them knew each other, but anyway, so we put together this great coaching staff and then they started working on their networks they started calling their college coaches that they know. They started calling the youth programs that they had been in where the players had gone on to do other things. And that's really where it started. We did have um, open tryouts and we signed a few players from our open tryouts, including one of my favorite stories, uh, Christelle Yua, who was uh, a star at Michigan State, Big Ten captain, graduated. There was nowhere else for her to keep playing. So she applied for dental school at the University of Minnesota. She was finishing up dental school and one of her, she was playing intramural soccer at the U and one of her friends said, Hey, there's this new team starting. You should really go try out because you keep complaining about the level of competition in intramurals. So Christelle came, tried out and our coaches didn't even know she was in town because you know, her, she thought her soccer career was sure. over yeah. and she stood out among everybody else trying out and they quickly Googled her and we're just like, Whoa, wait, <laughs> this was a outstanding Michigan state player. And so she's gotten herself back into soccer shape. And so it was a combination of those things. And then really we had so much publicity when we first started that, that players were paying attention. And because of the million dollars that we raised through the community ownership, we were able to pay for players registrations and we are paying for a lot of players housing. And so we were able to remove the financial barriers that frequently exist in the minor leagues of all sports, sure. not just soccer. And so we have said to the players, if you're good enough to make the team, we'll figure out a way to get you here. And that honestly opened up the whole world to us. We have a player from Korea, a player from a player from South Korea, a player from Japan and all over the United States. I imagine you can't speak for them, but I would hazard a guess to say that, you know, they will be, some emotions for them too, and you know, especially playing in front of 5,000 plus people on, on Thursday night once it actually is happening. Yeah. And remember a lot of these players, um, including Sarah Fuller, who I think is probably the most known on our squad. She, you know, when their, their main college careers were during COVID. So they've been playing in empty stadiums. And so even Sarah said the morning that they came into TCO stadium for the first time, even when she kicked for Vanderbilt football, 
which normally would be 60,000 people, the stadium was empty because fans weren't allowed in there. And so for all of them, this will be the biggest crowd they've ever played in front of and the nicest facility they have hands down said it's the nicest building they have ever been in. And so that first morning of practice, when they came around the corner onto the field, it was, it, they were just thrilled. Couple more things for you, Andrea, enjoying this conversation. I hate to spin too far into the future when you haven't even <laughs> had your first match yet, but is there, you know, in any group of, you know, invested people probably has visions beyond just let's get through the season. Where, where do you, where do you hope this goes? What, what's the, what's kind of the, the master plan or the master hope for, you know, hope for the Aurora? Well, I, I wish I could tell you that we really had a master plan, but none of us expected to be here today. I mean, we this morning we were laughing in our group chat about how many people are hitting us up for tickets. We were just like, and I literally have two drone companies fighting over who's going to be a drone in the stadium tomorrow night. So if you'd ever told me I was going to have these conversations 11 months ago, I would have thought you were crazy. So right now we're just really open to whatever the future might bring. Um, uh, one of our sponsors said to me today that it feels like a magic carpet ride and it really does. It's been an incredible year since we announced. And I think anything's possible in our future. Clearly the Twin Cities community in Minnesota is hungry for a professional acting soccer team for women. And even though we are pre-professional, we are treating it just like the highest levels. And clearly the community has responded. We're, we're, we sold out our shares. We've sold out our tickets. We've sold more merchandise than any minor league team of any level has a right to sell. And our media support has been unprecedented across the country, not just here, but we have been hearing from teams everywhere about what we're doing here. The head of our league is coming in tomorrow night to try to figure out what's in our secret sauce that is working so well. But I really think it's about the Twin Cities and about people here being ready to step up and support women and women in sports and soccer. And the merch is pretty nice too. Yeah, that we nailed the logo. And I can honestly say that because I had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> we had three amazing female designers. Again, we've been very true to part of our mission is as many opportunities for women in sports as we can. And these were women who have wanted to break into sports, haven't really had a chance. And they, they came to us and said, can we help? And same woman who designed our inaugural scarf, um, she came to us and said, how can I help? And then the woman who designed our, our kits, our uniforms had done some work in soccer, but couldn't break through to a higher level. She showed up and said, I want to help. I want to design your kits. And she crushed it. So all we've been doing is just staying out of the way of these brilliant women. If uh, last thing for you, if someone can't get a ticket for a sold out game tomorrow, but still wants to watch it or wants to go to a future match, what's uh, what's what's their best? Uh, where, where, where should we send them? So um, I'm happy to say that to watch it, you can go to WCCO.com. Um, we have a partnership with WCCO TV. Again, another group stepping up. They are streaming all our home games, which is amazing. Um, production is actually being done by the city of Egan. And so we will have full production. We have play-by-play -play and broadcaster. And then future games, go to mnaurora.com. And I will tell everybody that we are 80% sold for the entire season. And so if you missed out on the home opener, don't dilly dally because you may miss out on the whole season. We're, we're capped on season tickets. And so just have um, about a thousand tickets left for each remaining game. 
That's amazing. Well, it's a great success story so far. And uh, I think everybody's excited to see what it looks like on the field. You uh, perhaps more than anyone else and seeing, <laughs> seeing how this all comes together. But Andrea, thanks for all of your time today and uh, best of luck at the opener. Okay. Thank you very much. Hope we'll see you out of the game. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrea Yock. Um, just some interesting things going on with that team, just how it's being constructed, how it's being put together, the support being shown for women's soccer in this market, and obviously men's soccer too with you know Minnesota United drawing so well, getting a lot of supporters. Uh, that tells you something. That tells you that this market might be in line for you know that that team, the Aurora, to to move up as time goes on to maybe become a bigger, an even bigger deal, an even bigger and better thing here in this market. But we will see. First things first, they get to play their first match tonight. That will be interesting to see. Should be a pretty cool time out there at TCO Performance Center in Egan. Let's move on to the Twins. A winning streak snapped. Detroit gets the finale of that series, four to two. A rainy. Chilly, not nice day at Target Field. Detroit um, tied it later in uh, later in the uh, later in the game, and then won it in extra innings on a home run. Bigger news, which we've talked about a few times here already on the show. The bigger news: Byron Buxton, 0 for five again, struck out once. The slump continues. He is now 0 for his last 26 batting average. All the way down to 202. Yeah, 202. That's uh, it's flirting with the Mendoza line. That's not, you know, three weeks ago we were reading a lot of stories about is Byron Buxton the best player in baseball? You know, um, a little less than two weeks ago we learned about the plan to to rest him, to make him, to make sure he's healthy throughout the season. Um, around that time he hasn't had a hit since then, and some of it's bad luck. Uh, we're getting the. Uh, Byron Buxton's hitting the ball hard, but he's not getting a lot of luck. And there's some elements of that. Hit another ball very hard um, in yesterday's game, but didn't get a hit on it. Has almost homered in each of his last two games, but almost home runs are out in this case. So a little bit of bad luck. But when you're 0 for 26, it's not all bad luck. Is it his knee? Is this is this health related well Buxton got asked about that on Wednesday after the game um he says mentally it's it's what really mentally is what really is the toll being hurt the last few years and you can play but it's not the way you want it to be and then you have to take another 10 days talking about the possibility of going on the injured list said mentally I'm still in a good spot I'm positive I'm confident so like I said it's just about making sure I'm there for my teammates I want to play I want to contribute to the team I'm not really thinking too much about the knee once you're out there you're going to get a win for the you're trying to get a win for the team and that's most important I'm doing everything in my power to make sure I stay on the field and be there for them. So, is it the knee? I don't know. It's uh, it's not uh, it's not not the knee. I would think, right? Anytime you're in, in a certain amount of physical discomfort, you're not, uh, you know, it, it it's not what you want. It, it even if you're not blaming it entirely for what's going on, it's you know, it's got to be contributing to it. He's he's not, you know, he, he's just not in. A, he's not in a good place. He's not playing to the to the to the best of his abilities so you know he said I want to play I want to contribute to the team so I have to make better at bats get on base and just try to get more runs across for my teammates I'm not really thinking too much about the knee so I think we are but maybe he isn't but whatever the case 
Um, you know, whatever the case is right now, and he made a great catch in that game. It's not like he's not contributing at all, and the Twins, by and large, have been winning through these through this slump. You know, whatever's going on is, uh, you know, it's not affecting his fielding, of course. He's a professional. He's going to keep going out there and contributing in certain ways, but whatever is going on, he cannot keep this going like this. It's either going to have to be he busts out of this in a big way or he's going to have to sit down for a few days and get that knee right and this is not thing, something that's going to go away, you guys. This is something that's going to keep flaring up, I would imagine, throughout the entire season. Let's finish with the cooler. A throwback score in the NBA playoffs. Celtics beat the Heat 93-80. to And this game was, the Heat were ahead 42-37 to at halftime of this game. This is like a game from like, it's like a score from like the, you know, mid to late 90s to early to mid 2000s in the NBA before they loosened some of the restrictions on guarding and, you know, made it so you couldn't really hand check so guys could get to the basket a little bit easier. You know, kind of reminds me of like the what the Wolves-Kings game back in the day, the game seven that the Wolves won. You know, that game was in the 80s, a very low scoring game. 93 to 80, Boston over Miami. That's a huge win for Boston. They go up three to two in the series um like i said they trailed at the break but end up getting that done our old friend by the way jimmy butler for miami four of 18 in this game only 13 points in this game in 40 minutes so not a great effort from jimmy butler in this one so interesting uh interesting playoffs the nba playoffs have been interesting this year it's just been a lot of blowouts in some cases a lot of you know weird kind of back and forth series where the series have been competitive but the games themselves haven't been all that close or great Boston kind of took control of this one in the third quarter when they outscored Miami 32 to 16 that was the only quarter by the way in which any team scored more than 24 points in the in in the quarter so just a real defensive struggle a real back and forth game Jalen Brown 25 points for Boston 10 of 19 shooting including five of nine from three-point range so interesting playoffs NHL playoffs were pretty good too Blues beat uh, beat Colorado rallied from three goals down to stay alive in that series I got a feeling Colorado's going to finish that one off at some point here but that was a pretty big rally for St. Louis especially considering that game was in I believe Colorado so quite a Quite a rally for them on Colorado's home ice. Yeah, that game was in Colorado. Nathan McKinnon had a hat trick for Colorado, gave him a 2-0 lead in the first period. They extended that to 3-0 on a Gabriel Landeskog goal in the second period, but then Tarasenko for the Blues got one late in the second period, and those late second period goals can be dangerous. Blues end up tying it up midway. Actually, five minutes left in the third, but McKinnon gave him another 4-3 lead. McKinnon could not have done more in this game. Hat trick in this game. Then the Blues tie it with less than a minute left and score early in overtime. Tyler Bozak assist to Nick Letty. Our guy Nick Letty from uh, from Eden Prairie got an assist on that winning goal. So back to uh, back to St. Louis for a game six. That's got to be a gut punch for Colorado after having that game seemingly in hand, seemingly set to advance to the Western Conference Finals. Again, still now work to do. We'll see if they can get that done. That will do it for today's show. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery today. We will be back at it again on Friday.